Today I'd like to deal with what I think is really a neglected angle of reaching out to people. It's something that has been lost or slipped through the cracks over the years and, and really needs a revival. And I'm talking about using the law to reach people for Christ. And you say, well, why? Because of what God has to say about it. It is so effective. It's really a God-ordained method for us to take God's law, hold it up to the sinner, use it as a mirror to help them to understand their lost condition before God. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans and the third chapter, Romans chapter 3. We've been in a series here, actually before Missions Month and now during Missions Month, that really ties in with our own personal responsibility, and that is to witness, and, and not just to leave it to the missionary or the hired gun or the professional, as we might call them, but individually, us personally witnessing to those within our circle of influence. And we've been talking about staying mindful of the lost. And you say, well, who are the lost? Well, we're talking about those who are spiritually lost. It might sound like an insult to be called lost spiritually, but, you know, we're born into this world blind, according to the Bible, spiritually. and We need to be born again, so we're born into this world spiritually dead. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the condition I was in before I got saved. That's the condition you're in before you got saved if you've been born again. And so it's not an insult in any way, but really just a, a, a label, an adjective, if you would, that, that helps us to understand who we're talking about and being mindful of them, that is, those who have never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And today I'd like to, I'd like to deal with what I think is really a neglected angle of, of reaching out to people. It's something that has been lost or slipped through the cracks over the years and, and really needs a revival. And I'm talking about using the law to reach people for Christ. And you say, well, why? Because of what God has to say about it. It is so effective. It's really a God-ordained method for, for us to take God's law, hold it up to the sinner, use it as a mirror to help them to understand their lost condition before God. Because, you see, the Bible is not flattering when it gives a description of the spiritual condition people are in. It's actually a, a moral and a spiritual resume that's found right here in Romans chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 10 through down to verse 20. It's talking about people in general. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty 
before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, with that as a backdrop and a springboard both, we're going to be talking about staying mindful of the lost, and we're going to be dealing with especially how to use the law to show people their need of Christ. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to help us to listen carefully and closely, and I pray that you would teach us some things and show us some things and help us to wrap our hearts and minds around them so that we might use them to bring others to Christ and to glorify Him in the process. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime back, the church had sent out some literature, and we do that often. We have tracts, we have papers we put out, we, we do other things. And someone took offense at, at the plan of salvation within the paper. And it was a minister, no less, and I heard from them, and, and they said, you should use a softer approach. I preached recently on the mush god. Remember the mush god? <laughs> and really, there's no such thing, but it's the god that our society has concocted. It's a god that suits them. It is a God that overlooks sin. It is a God that has really low standards and no doctrine, barely any opinions on things. The mush God. He can accommodate everybody. Well, we have a mush God society today, and we've had it for so long, and it's getting worse, so much so that now the truth seems harsh. And, and, and we have people that claim to know the name of Christ and salvation who are trying to use this backdoor approach, this softer approach, if you will, to, to try and get the message of Christ to others. Well, you can't water it down. There's a famous preacher out in Southern California, a famous church, church building. It's known throughout the nation. My wife and I were out there a year ago this past January. I said, I got to see that building. So we went and we toured the building. And I remembered as we were touring it, a a quote that that preacher, that TV preacher had made years ago, that we should not uh, name sin, we should not uh, make the, quote, sinner feel guilty. And in any such tactic, he called it barbaric and uncouth. Well, he would call Jesus Christ barbaric and John the Baptist uncouth and Paul and Peter and the whole rest really uh, crude because that's what they did. They preached the truth. They didn't, they didn't water it down. They gave it to people straight. We find out that we are in really poor spiritual and, and moral condition before salvation. And it's described here in our text in Romans 3 and in verse 10, first of all, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And there's nobody that can shoot their hand up and say, Well, I'm the exception. No, not one. None righteous. No, not one. Verse 11 says, there's none that understandeth. Now, there are a lot who justify themselves, think they're okay, think they're on the road to heaven, but they don't get it. And they don't know that they don't know because there's none that understandeth that is before salvation. And then it says, there is none that seeketh after God. You say, well, I don't believe that. Before I got saved, I was seeking the Lord. But I'll guarantee you, He sought you first. Because Christ said, no man can come unto the Father except He draw them. And so God goes seeking us first. And then we seek Him in turn. Verse number 12 says, They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. (laughs) We think we can earn our way to heaven. We have something going for us. I have news for us. We're unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You say, well, I don't believe that. There's a lot of people doing good. You know, the Bible says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We're sinners. 
And in God's sight, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. It goes on and describes our throat as an open grave, our tongues full of deceit, the poison of snakes under our lips, our mouths full of cursing and bitterness, our, our feet swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in our ways. Verse 18 is really a strong indictment against us. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Boy, do we see that in our society today. Anything goes. Nothing is sacred anymore. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So God just lays all that out. And then in verse number 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Here's man coming along justifying himself. God lays down the Ten Commandments and oop! Suddenly every mouth is stopped and we realize our guilt. And if I could sum up these ten verses or so, it would scream guilty. (laughs) And we're guilty. That's the bottom line. Now there's no easy way to show people that. You you can't do the the foxtrot and the the two-step and try and dance around it. The bottom line is we've got to be honest with people and tell it the way it really is. Notice verse 23. It says, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. That's the truth. Now we're to speak the truth in love, but the truth is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that literally means there in the Greek? It means to miss the mark, to come short of the glory of God. It's an archery term. We have some bow hunters, some fellow bow hunters here, okay? You know what it means to miss the mark. And that's what it means there. All have sinned and they've missed God's mark. And they don't realize they've missed that mark. And so somebody needs to take the law to show them what the mark is. The law is the mark. We had somebody baptized here this past Sunday. I talked to him after the service. Uh, He he was still wet and and dripping. He actually left a little puddle down there. And uh, But he was so excited. He was just so fired up about being saved. And he was talking about witnessing to folks now and and even calling uh, his old minister and talking to him and so on. And, And realizing, he said, they don't get it. They don't get it, but he didn't get it at one time, that he was actually missing the mark. You see, the Bible calls it a a blindness. Before we get saved, there's, there's like blinders on us, and God must reveal sin to the sinner. He must show us, really, what sin is. And so, if a If a Christian doesn't witness and explain sin, basically Jesus is just another religious figure. All right, we've got Buddha, we've got Muhammad, oh, we've got Jesus too, okay? If you don't bring sin into the equation, Jesus is just another religious uh, figure here. But the very word Savior denotes that, that people are sinners needing a Savior. In fact, we wouldn't need a Savior if we weren't serious sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. You know that even the so-called Virgin Mary... The, the one who is worshipped by millions, hundreds of millions worldwide in Mariolatry, even admitted she was a sinner. When in Luke one forty six, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, only a sinner needs a Savior. So Mary here is acknowledging she is a sinner, and she said, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. I need a Savior. She said, and you need a Savior, and we need a Savior. Now, verse 23 of of Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and come short, or missed the mark, come short of the glory of God. Hamartano there is the the Greek word. 
My kids and I were watching an old rifleman the other day. Remember the rifleman? Oh, they don't make them like that anymore. And, and Lucas McCain was in a, uh, a shooting match. And he, he threw the match because somebody was threatening to kill his boy Mark. And it's a, it's a great plot. But anyway, he just threw four right in the target there. And he, he let the fifth one just fall way off to the side there. And he missed the mark. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and come short or missed the mark. Missed the mark. God's mark. Now sinners need to know what the mark is. What is the mark? Well, it's the Ten Commandments. Society has tried to erase the mark. In fact, even in our own city here, our own fair city here, we've had a group of atheists and, and free thinkers and so on try to get the Ten Commandments removed from the lawn of the, uh, the, the Civic Center downtown there. And you say, well, why? What's their deal? By the way, there was a, a good judge who overruled them. And, and the issue here really is they don't like those Ten Commandments there because it condemns their lifestyle, plain and simple. They don't want them down there. But this country was founded on those Ten Commandments and biblical principles. Now, they're trying to rewrite history, and it's being rewritten now with a slant. In fact, I even read something on Lincoln the other day. I, I, I have no doubt that Lincoln got saved before he was assassinated, just from some of his writings. But he did have a period in his life where he was talking a little crazy, and he was kind of seeking and searching and, and, and saying some things that didn't sound very Christian-like. I don't think he was always a Christian. His mother was a godly Baptist woman, and, and, and Lincoln was a God-fearing man, and you can hardly read any of his quotes without some Bible in it. But there was a time period in his life where he was talking a little different, and they like to put that in the history books and say, well, this is what the man was like. No, that was a small phase of his life. But see, they're slanting history. They're manipulating history because they know this country was founded on biblical principles and Ten Commandments, God's law. Now, God's, God's law is powerful. God's standard is very powerful. Notice in verse number 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, what's this saying? It's saying you can't work your way to heaven by keeping the law. But by the law comes the knowledge of sin to show us why we need to be saved. And when you take God's law and you show it to folks, I'm telling you, it exposes their sinfulness. It can cause them to squirm. I've had some very professional people in my office or the counseling room, and we've gone through the seven steps to God, and we've gotten to that, that lesson, I think it's number six, where it takes the Ten Commandments, and you go through it line upon line with them, and I'm not trying to make them squirm, but I'm telling you, they squirm. Salespeople, sharp people, but you, you, you drop down the law there, and I'm telling you, it's a very powerful thing. Verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. When you see yourself in light of God's law, there's no, there's no justifying self. There's no self-justification. There is guilt there. Now, if you just do away with the mush God, and by the way, the mush minister won't talk about God's standard, and the mush witness won't witness with God's standard, but if we will take God's standard, the law, every mouth will be stopped, and uh, people will realize their guilt. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We're not trying to make people squirm. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
If somebody's a true friend, they'll tell it the way it is. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That enemy could be a, a minister in a long garb and flactories and a backwards collar who tells you that everything's okay, that just do the best you can and God's a God of love and a, a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Oh, really? The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's no friend of yours. Somebody who pats you on the back right into hell. Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And a true friend, it might step on your toes a little bit as they expose sin in, in light of the law, but that's a true friend, plain and simple. Use the law. The law must slay the sinner's self-righteousness before that sinner can be saved. Look to Romans chapter 7, if you will, just a few pages forward. Here's the way Paul put it. Paul, thinking back on his pre-salvation days, when he was full of himself, full of his self-righteousness, and it took the law, God's law, really to show him how wicked he was. And in Romans chapter 7 and in verse 9, he says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's saying in so many words, I was going on my own merry way at one time and thinking I was pretty good and so on and so forth. He said, but the commandment came. The commandment revived. The commandment came and sin was exposed for what it is. He said, and, and suddenly it slew me. I realized how lost I really was. That's what the law will do. We find in Psalm 19.7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. Now, we often make a reference to the whole Bible with that, and that's, that's no misnomer there. That's, that's true. The, the Bible is the law. And, and the Bible is what we need to bring people to Christ because we're saved by faith, and, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But primarily, the law is when God drops down all those thou shalt and thou shalt not, and especially the Ten Commandments. And it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, people today are clueless to what sin really is. And they've lowered the bar so low and erased the standards so much. And today you can, uh, you, can, you can have a couple who's living together and they think nothing of it. You can have a couple who announces, we're having a baby out of wedlock. And, and uh, they pass the cigars out and everybody congratulates them. And, and you say, wait a minute here. You know, marriage is honorable, God says. And, and the bed undefiled within those confines. But but sinners and whoremongers and adulterers, it says God will judge. But, you know, people just, yeah, whatever, whatever. And they just kind of poo-poo all that. And they, they have no, no sense today of what sin is. Fornication it has become a joke. It's like, hello, but, but what does the law say? Well, First John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. It's plain and simple. Sin, S-I-N, is going contrary to God's law. It can be fornication. It can be pride. It can be uh, covetousness. It can be putting things ahead of God. And there are many times when I've taken the Ten Commandments and just gone through them one at a time and showed people what idolatry is, showed people what making a God of our own imagination is, talked about taking God's name in vain, talked about not keeping God's day holy, talked about not honoring your mother and your father, talked about uh, hating somebody, or lusting after the opposite sex, or taking something that's not yours, or lying. 
and showing them that all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, or coveting, and, and basically just taking them down God's law. And I'm telling you, it's a sobering thing. Most people have broken all of them. And all people have broken most of them at the least. And even if somebody says, well, I've only broken a few of them, well, James 2.10 says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If you're hanging over a cliff by a chain with ten links in it, how many of them have to break for you to fall? Now, there are some sobering verses that talk about the law in the Bible. There are some sobering verses even from the lips of Jesus Christ, where he says, that which is done in secret shall be shouted from the housetops. That which is done in the closet is going to be manifested before all. The Bible tells us in Numbers 32, 23, Behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. That would sober me up. If I was lost in sin and just frolicking out there in the world and having a big old time in wickedness, that very passage, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, I wish I would have used the law more in the early days of my witnessing. And and I just say that quite honestly. Even as a church, we've kind of caught up on that. Because for many years, our crowd, what I cut my teeth on, had gotten away from that. And uh, they were promoting in those days, you know, Romans Road. Just take them through three verses, get them to pray a sinner's prayer. And and they they just couldn't figure out, wait a minute here. We're seeing a lot of casualties. We're having to chase a lot of people to get them scripturally baptized or into church. And so they come along with the four spiritual laws. And and then uh, we had a a plan that was was concocted by some preachers in the Northland. Well, this is what we need with our culture up here. So we had all these things here, but they didn't have the law in it. I'm telling you, it was like I could have had a V8, you know, the day I discovered, wait a minute, God uses the law. And we need to use the law as well. We've gotten away from that. But it's obvious within the scriptures, Jesus used the law when he dealt with the rich young young ruler. And and Paul used the law and and referred to it often in, in his Gospels and especially here in the book of Romans. In fact, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice that. It was our tutor. It was our teacher. It was our schoolmaster. Notice it says to bring us unto Christ. In the Greek, it means literally to carry us right to Christ. When people see themselves lost and the Ten Commandments reveal their sinfulness, it's like a schoolmaster. And really, it means in the Greek like a teacher who picks up a a toddler who's maybe in kindergarten and carries them to the schoolhouse or buses them to the schoolhouse. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us Unto Christ, notice that we might be justified by faith. Not by good works any longer, but by faith only. Now, why is the law and the using of the law so effective? You ever wondered about that? And those of you who have been using it to deal with people and witness to people, you've seen it. I'm telling you, it's, it's powerful. You say, well, why is that? Well, look in Romans chapter 2. There are so many things that tell me this is God's word. But I'm telling you, when you see stuff firsthand... And then you you see what the Bible says about it. You go, wow, only God could have written this. Notice in Romans 2 and in verse number 15. It's talking of sinners in, in general here, the lost. And it says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. 
Notice the first part of verse number 15 tells us that the lost showed the works of the law, the Ten Commandments, written in their heart and their conscience also bearing witness. And so it's something that God has wired within us. I can't think of a better way to put it than that. We know God's put it there. You know, I've seen, uh, I've seen a, a footage of a, a witness, a, a Christian, who was talking about the Lord. I'm telling you, he, I saw him witnessing to a transvestite one time. I've seen him witness to atheists. I've seen him witness to uh, free thinkers. I've seen him witness to scientists. And, and at first, some of these, and in fact, all of them are real cocky and they're arrogant and they're just kind of, you know, trying to come up with arguments. And he just, he just kind of shrugs all those off and he starts taking them through the Ten Commandments one at a time. And, and I'm telling you, you'll see the atheist get unraveled and the transvestite and the free thinker and the scientist and the infidel, whatever else it might be. It, it unnerves them because it is powerful. We find that it tells us right here in verse number 15, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts to meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, accusing if they're guilty or excusing if they're not. So really you can cut through the facade. When you're dealing with a so-called intellectual or a free thinker or whatever, you can call their bluff, you can just take God's law and, and use it. Now, look, you can spend hours studying uh, microorganisms. And, and you can uh, spend hours studying the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Adventists. You can spend hours studying Islam. You can, you can study evolution. And you can try and figure out how to counter every argument and, uh, and, and deal with the, the, the reincarnation crowd or, or the free thinker crowd or the worldview crowd. And you can try and get well-versed in all these things. Good luck, all right? It's going to take you a long time. Or you can just take God's law and, like I encouraged you to do last time, memorize it. Commit it to memory. Because they know they're condemned. They know everything else is a bluff. They know everything else is a smokescreen. If they're lost, if they're guilty, that's the bottom line. They'll know. You know, they've gone into third world jungles, if you will, and barbarian people, if you will, and found that those people have written up their own set of moral laws. And they have things in their villages like, you're not to touch another man's wife. Where do they get that? That's the seventh commandment. You're not to take anything that belongs to somebody else. Who told them that? That's the eighth commandment. You could go right through all ten. They know. Because God has written it into their hearts. You know, but sadly, our society takes its cue from itself, doesn't it? And we've been just using ourselves as sounding boards for so long that, you know, okay, what's wrong with it? And in our sex-saturated society, nothing's wrong anymore because we take our cue from each other and there's no such thing as sin anymore and the bar just keeps lowering and lowering and lowering and uh, we say, well, everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. You know, you've got sinners besides that focusing on the good that they do to, to the point to where they don't even recognize their, their horrid sinful condition. They say, well... Uh, you know, my buddy got a different apartment. I helped him move. I'm a pretty good person. Or um, um, my neighbor's lawn was getting long and they were out of town, so I mowed it for him. Or I shoveled their snow. Or I, I opened the door the other day for this elderly person coming in. And, you know, they're chalking those things up. They're adding those things up. You know, I put a few bucks in the offering plate. And, and so they're focusing on the good that they do. And they say, I'll be fine on Judgment Day. Oh, I don't think so. God doesn't grade on a curve, okay? We saw a moment ago what God thinks of mankind. And all those things are true. Here in Romans chapter 2, notice verse number 2. 
It says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Not according even to love or mercy, but according to truth. Now, what's truth? Well, in John 17, 17, Jesus Christ points to the word of God. He says, that's true. Thy word is true. The Bible is true. So God's going to judge according to his word. That's his standard. And we all have an appointment to stand before God one day. In fact, I think it's verse 16. Paul mentions, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He makes a reference here to the word of God. And that day when, when God shall judge the secrets of men by his gospel. We have a judgment day coming. We read in Revelation 20 verse 11. John says, and I saw the great white throne. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God. That day is coming. And no, one, no one's opinion, no one else's opinion will matter on that day. No one else's standard will matter on that day. It won't matter at all. You can rewrite the, the rules. You can have your mush God. But when it comes right down to it, on judgment day, God's going to drop down his law. God's going to drop down his standard. And he's going to say, you didn't cut it. You didn't keep it. Not at all. Now, the Ten Commandments remind people of their sin. Their sin. There are a number of times I've been witnessing to somebody and I've said, uh, if you're to die tonight, where would you go? Well, heaven. Heaven. And you say, well, why? Well, because I'm a good person. I hear that a lot. It's amazing. You know, everybody says the world is so evil. And you hear that a lot. The world is so evil. If the world's so evil, how come everybody I talk to is a good person? There's just something not adding up here. But everyone thinks they're that good person. And so you basically have to show them they're not. You say, well, I'm afraid of offending them. You're really not the one who's going to offend them. Honestly, you're not the bad guy. It's the policy that's the bad guy. It's God's Ten Commandments that are the bad guy. You take somebody through, um, let's just say, the uh, Ninth Commandment. You ever told a lie? They say, well, yes. If they're honest at all, they would say, well, yeah, I told a lie. And you say, well, what does that make you? Well, I guess a sinner. No, no, specifically, what does that make you? A liar. That's a little harder to say. I'm a liar. I'm covetous. I'm a thief. I've broken that eighth commandment. I'm an adulterer. I, 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 I have, uh, I'm, I'm an idolater. I'm a blasphemer. You know, whatever the commandment is, they have to admit it. I violate it. And suddenly, they're not a good person anymore. Suddenly, it's, it's not a shoe-in for them to get to heaven anymore. And then you get to them to that point and, and you say, all right, if you could go from being guilty to not guilty, would that be good news? <sighs> yeah. Now you've given them some relief. But the point is this. You have given them the bad news before you've given them the good news. The problem with today's modern gospel and the, the televangelist and the average radio preacher is, is they just talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They give all this good news. But they don't give them the bad news first. They don't show them what their need is. They give them the solution without giving them the problem. And that is the problem. You have to give people the problem before you can give them the solution. You have to uh, show them their disease before you can give to them the cure. And that makes a world of difference. And most, most so-called witnesses today are not doing that. Sadly, most churches with even in our realm, certainly new evangelical churches are not doing that anymore. But if you do it right, it makes sense. I see what the disease is. Now, yes, I want the cure. Before, 
They don't care much because all they've gotten is the solution, not the problem before the solution. Again, that verse in Romans 7, 9, Paul says, for I was alive without the law once. In other words, everything was honky-dory. I was just going along fine. But when the commandment, the Ten Commandments came, he says, sin revived. I realized what a sinner I was. I died. You know, there are a lot of self-righteous people out there. I had one fellow, and it's only happened one time, who I went through all Ten Commandments. He said, nope, 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 haven't done that, haven't done that. And it was over in Africa. And no doubt, he was probably a pretty good guy. But nobody's that good. And we went through the first one. No, I'm fine. Second one, nope. Third, fourth, fifth. Man, we're cruising along. I couldn't get him on. I mean, even the one. Here's a, a, a guy about 20. Explained what it means to lust after the opposite sex. No, no, never done that. I'm going, get real. And I get to the, uh, I get to the ninth one. And I say, have you ever told a lie? Nope. Now, this guy had stood me up several times getting together. And, and that's typical in Africa. You know, you set up an appointment, you show up, they don't show up. And you call them on the phone and, oh, yeah, well, whatever. And they make an excuse. And, but I'll be there. And, you know, he kept promising to be there. And finally, I flagged him down at the gas station he worked at. But he told me at least three or four times, yeah, I'll be there and didn't show up. So I knew I had him. So when I got to that ninth commandment, and I was getting to that one, and he denied it. No, I've never lied to anyone. I said, well, James, you know, several times you've told me you'd get together for Bible study and you'd meet me at such and such a place, and you didn't show up. You lied to me. Boy, you could just see his chin drop to his chest right there. My boys were sitting in the back seat at the time in the Baki. He said, you know what? You're right. I, I think at that point he might have realized, yeah, I violated a number of the other ones as well. But you've got to get people self-right. And by the way, that, to make a long story short, James got saved. And he's still living for the Lord over there. But you've got to get people to ditch that self-righteousness. It's so ingrained in people. You know, people have a lot of head knowledge about Jesus Christ. But they don't know why they need him. I had a number of quotes here I wanted to share with you from great preachers of the past that advocated using the Ten Commandments. Taking the law to show people their lost condition. We don't have time to go through them here. But people need the law because they need to know they have to repent, which is another missing ingredient in the gospel today. A lot of people talk about faith and uh, believing and so on, and put your, your trust in Jesus and so on. No, what about turning from sin? What about repenting? That's why you have to bring up sin and, and the law. You know, we're going to have to have a, a basic Bible salvation course, even in our Bible college. We understand that. Because we understand what's going to be coming in from a lot of different areas here. And, and the fact is, a lot of these young people are going to need a dose because they've never heard of repentance. Although it's mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. Repent, repent, repent. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus Christ preached it. Metanoio in the Greek. Change of mind. Change of direction, basically. We read in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Notice the steps there. Godly sorrow can only come when people see they're lost. They can only see they're lost when they see they're sinners. They can only see they're sinners when they see what God's standard is. And so you've got to use Ten Commandments. But it leads to godly sorrow, which worketh repentance, which worketh salvation. There's a lot of confusion about lordship salvation. And, and it gets a bum rap in this day and age. We're not talking about that lost person getting saved and becoming sinless. Not at all. We know better than that. Nobody will be sinless. But we are talking about a surrender of control. 
When we talk about lordship, it's a given over of the control. And it's a 180 degree turn from no longer following the world and the flesh and the devil to now following the Lord and God's word. Basically, that's what it is. God and the Bible, submission and surrender. That's what we mean by lordship salvation. And if, if people don't want to repent of their sins, plain and simple... Then they're not ready to surrender their life to Christ. They're not ready to be saved. And by the way, you may get through the seven steps to God with somebody and, and uh, they just go, no. Well, don't, don't twist their arm. They can't get saved unless God is in it anyway. Again, Jesus said in John six forty four, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. Now think about that verse. If God is drawing the sinner to himself, he is naturally drawing them away from sin. God's not over on the sin side. God's over on the holiness side. If he's drawing the sinner unto himself, then there, there has to be that turning from sin. There has to be that repentance, plain and simple. And uh, you're going to have a different landlord, basically, in your heart when you truly get born again the Bible way. You know, before I got saved even, I was, I was seeing sin as, as I was reading tracts and, and other material. And in my own little way, I was already trying to quit doing stuff. You know what I mean? But there was already, and I'm not saying you've got to just cross all the T's and dot all the I's. But I am saying there was an attitude of, of wanting to do what was right. And if the sinner is not willing to do that, wait. Don't force him in a profession of faith. I've got people, I've got at least a couple of salespeople right now. I've gone through the, the seven steps to God with them, and they know they're lost. But they're not ready to take that step yet. I am just waiting. There are others as well. But the call to salvation is a call to holiness. Plain and simple. You know, no one ever got saved by, by asking Jesus into their heart. We use that expression. But it's a surrender of the heart. It's a giving over of the will. That's when we get saved. Plain and simple. God is not some uh, additive like we stick in our oil, okay? Well, we got all these other bases covered. Let's just throw this additive in here. No, he wants all of us. All of us. And it's the responsibility of the Christian to get that message to people. I close with this. It's only one page back in Romans 1. These three verses, they say it all. Beginning in verse 14, Romans 1, 14, Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, in other words, everybody, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul here is saying, I have a debt to society, and we put it that way, spiritually, to reach people. And then he adds in verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul mentioned his debt. Paul mentioned he's not ashamed of the gospel. Paul mentioned that it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul was mindful of the lost. He went about witnessing. And may God help us to re-enlist if we've kind of dropped out in being mindful of the lost. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, 
Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.